Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Psalms and the steadfast love of God. We'll explore the intricacies of God's covenant love for His people and learn what it means to pour out our hearts to Him. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Aaron and me in conversation today is Julie Phillips. Julie is a local counselor here with Insight Counseling. She's been a gift to many of us here at First Pres, Aaron and I included, and other folks in the Augusta area as well. And Julie, we really appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, we're going to start right in with our first things first question. We always do this question at the beginning of our episode. And the question today is, if you want to be alone, where is the first place you choose to go? So Julie's going to answer first and tell us a little bit about herself. I have a specific chair in my home where I go, not just to read, but to mark and inwardly digest the scriptures and journal and do some things that are reflective for me. I will say life changes mm. when your little ones leave home. But yeah, it does. <laughs> so we have a quiet house. Yeah. And so it's very enjoyable. Yeah, you could kind of pick your spot in a quiet house. Yes. You don't have to go in the closet anymore no. and lock <laughs> yourself in the bathroom. Turn off the light. <laughs> Who does that? Uh, <laughs> I can think of some people. I'm totally kidding. Yeah. I do that. All right. Well, Julie, tell us a little bit about yourself, too. I am um, married with grown children. I have two teenage grandchildren. I love to read. I love to uh, grow vegetables in my garden. I love to plant flowers that bloom. And um, I've recently uh, acquired a new taste for uh, sunrises and sunsets. Mm. Yes. Catch it on both ends. I also love to cook healthy meals and to empower others to appreciate their health through eating healthy. I came over to your house one time for dinner. You fed John and I. And I remember saying, everything here is healthy and everything here is tasty. And mm. that's not always the right combination. Yeah, so you combo. have you do make that an art. I remember your sweet husband said, I love sweet potatoes. Oh, he does love <laughs> sweet potatoes. <laughs> the best. You never yeah. know. I do not love sweet potatoes, but you made them pretty good. <laughs> if you'd served me beets, that I oh, did you serve me beets? I maybe. don't think. Uh, I don't know. That's the one thing I can't do. All right, Erin, where do you go? Girl? Um, okay, so my moments in this stage of life to be alone are very rare. So I might. I'm just kidding. I don't actually regularly lock myself into rooms, but if Brad has all the kids, I might go for a walk near where we live. It's very peaceful and beautiful. It's always bonus if you catch a sunrise or a sunset. But yeah, I think home, like I would orient around home, like walking near where we live or in our home. If I have to study, though, there is something invigorating about going to your favorite cozy coffee shop where you can just read, got the caffeine on refills, maybe some uh, good little tunes in the background, some people floating around. I don't know. That's also fun, too. I'm by myself. Yeah. And if you're going to study someplace by yourself, it does seem to help to get out of the house for me because yeah. I will get distracted by other things. Yeah, laundry or a nap or, you mm -hmm. know. A nap is a big one for me. <laughs> oh, I like both of what y'all are describing. My boys do actually get out of the house now and go to school. So I do love 
kind of that initial period of silence after they've walked out and I've cleaned up the hurricane that they oh left boy. behind them. <laughs> I would just sit down in the midst of the hurricane, but it's too discombobulating. So oh I kind of have to clean all that up. And then I will sit in a chair. I love it because fall's coming in winter, Augusta winter. Mm-hmm. I have my little fingers mm-hmm. in quotation marks, you know, is coming. And I like to turn on our little gas fireplace and we have a chair that sits right next to it. And we have these big bay windows that look out into our backyard. And we have a, a couple birds uh, bird feeders. Yeah. A little bird feeder system. So a couple of them hang on there. And I really have enjoyed just sitting there and watching the birds. And we've hung a hummingbird feeder recently. And there's two hummingbirds that get the biggest kick out of coming and they play together and they, so you can see them in the yard flitting around. And I've really, I've really enjoyed that. So I like to sit in my chair if I'm going to be quiet, but I do love to go for a walk. And I especially love it at dusk or even if it's dark because nobody else is walking. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people that if I'm out for a quiet walk and there's other people, around I almost mm-hmm. feel offended oh that's so <laughs> How funny are you out my neighborhood but <laughs> anyway so I, I do like both of those things and there is something very sweet about time alone like you're saying the time to think and to process and to contemplate and then there's times when being alone is really hard and there's times when sometimes what comes up in us when we are alone are sadnesses and hurts and some pain so we're going to see that a little bit in our psalm today um, the psalmist is going to be talking about what it feels like when he feels alone and cut off and how important it is to be put into community and to worship in the midst of that psalm 42 Two and 43 are the psalms that we're talking about today. And originally these psalms were written as one psalm. Um, you'd see that they are written by the sons of Korah. Uh, the sons of Korah were from the tribe of Levi and they were in charge of the tabernacle and later the temple, its care and its worship activities. So the speaker in this psalm identifies as one of God's people who most likely is far from home and far from the temple or the tabernacle, far from the place of worship that he has enjoyed in the past. So this psalm is written to be used in corporate worship together. So it very much is saying it's not abnormal that God's people struggle with the types of feelings that are expressed in this psalm. If you haven't read Psalm 42 and 43 yet, I very much encourage you to go ahead and hit the pause button and read those now because you'll get so much more out of our conversation if you do. As you're reading or if you've read, you'll realize that there is a repeated refrain in this psalm. And it is, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And Julie, when we talked about this earlier, you summed up the psalm well when you said these psalms normalize feelings of sadness for people. The hope in these verses addresses a renewal of faith, even in the midst of feeling downcast. So I would love to know from you as a counselor, can you describe what it is that you know about the experience of depression and how that experience is seen in Psalm 42 and 43? One of the things I love about this psalm and others is the practical part of integrating theology into real life Mm -hmm. situations. And the scriptures do not hide weaknesses. In fact, they highlight them. Mm. Um, Abraham was a liar. Um, Hosea's wife was a sex addict. Now, these are all Pete Scazzaro's descriptions, but I love them because they're so radical that they help us to be able to normalize weaknesses. Peter rebuked God. Uh, Jonah was a racist. Elijah was burned out. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Moses was anger. So all these are real people with real issues. Yeah. 
So emotions play a significant part in our spiritual lives. Um, understanding the experience of depression is helpful. Mm-hmm. And if we're afraid to acknowledge that that's an okay thing or that God's people actually struggle with that, then we don't seek to understand it. We just seek to hide it. Yes, right. So, and each person has their own unique story. Depression is different for each person. Some describe intense pain, others numbness, misery, a heaviness that just wants, just doesn't seem to go away um, without joy or purpose. We must be careful to draw our own interpretation of depression based on our own experience, mm. because each person may have their own unique aspects of darkness. Mm-hmm. In the clinical world, there is a list of symptoms such as feelings of worthlessness, inability to concentrate, weight loss or weight gain, uh, losing interest in pleasurable activities over a period of time. What we do know is that God is with us in our distress. He promises in Deuteronomy 28:65 that he sometimes allows a trembling heart, failing eyes, and the anguish of soul. So w- through that, we can rest assured that God has his purposes even in our seasons of sadness. So the psalmist goes on to describe his own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, as tearful, abandoned by God, an uneasiness, almost a dread of dread, cast down, forgotten, and in mourning. And then, as you said earlier, why are you cast down, O my soul? Proverbs thirteen twelve explains it this way as hope deferred, which is what this psalm refers to, the hope that's been deferred, or a broken spirit, Proverbs seventeen twenty two. Paul adequately described his burden as beyond measure, above strength, or despairing even of his own life in 2 Corinthians. So these are all ways that the scripture normalizes our experience of sadness. Mm. Yeah, I can totally resonate with that. And so these Psalms describe both physical and spiritual symptoms of depression. So Julie, why do you think it's important for people to understand the distinctions between spiritual and physical depression? I love the way Ed Welch in his book, Blame It on the Brain, describes it. He says, quote, if we confuse physical for spiritual, we're likely to hold people morally responsible for physical symptoms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if we confuse the spiritual for the physical, we are liable to excuse sin or have little hope for spiritual growth. So it is it is a a delicate balance Mm -hmm. to keep both of those in mind. I had a um, roommate in college. And we were at Bible college and there, and there can be this pressure in a sense to, to live like you're at Bible college. And one of my roommates struggled with depression and she just had the hardest time being okay with the fact that she needed to take medication. Like she felt so guilty for her depression, but hers really did happen to be very much a physical manifestation. Well, not even just physical manifestation, but physical cause of depression. And if she did not take that medication, she really couldn't think straight. But if she did take it, it made the world of difference. And so she was thinking, I'm somehow in sin because I'm struggling with this. I should be able to get myself out of this. And she didn't want to take that medication. And it took her a while just growing in her faith and her understanding of the Lord to see that as a, a grace, a gift that he offered to her. Yes. And let me just say that if there is someone listening who has excessive depression, please contact your doctor. I mean, that is really important. If you've had suicidal thoughts or 
thoughts of hurting yourself, harming yourself, or someone else, please contact your doctor. There can be some physical, serious physical reasons. I love how you phrase those two things. If you misdiagnose either one, you can miss something important. Yes. And how do people, how do you go about recognizing, do you think, in yourself? Well, the, the Bible addresses these symptoms so we can rest assured that God has compassion on both the physical and the spiritual aspects of depression. For example, just thinking through some um, physical symptoms, they may include lack of sleep or desiring to sleep as a way of escaping, abnormal fatigue, uh, inability to concentrate, feeling sad or just having the blues. Chronic illness can bring about depression. Hormonal, as women, we can relate to the hormonal pieces of what makes us unique. PPD after the birth of a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, surgery before post-surgery, pre-surgery. Uh, and they're doing studies now. Diet um, can uh, there are studies that are being advanced on nutritional deficiencies as a contributor to depression. So all those are physical ways that we acknowledge. And um, then there are the spiritual aspects of uh, depression, too. They may involve shame or fear or guilty conscience. Psalm 32 and 38 both address grief, loss, stress, discipline from God. Psalm 32 an inability to be able to appreciate God's goodness, unforgiveness, unbelief, anger, Mm. ongoing sin, either omission or commission, and then underestimating the enemy's schemes. I think we can all relate to, at one point in our life, being able to experience either physical symptoms or the spiritual side of depression. Mm Mm-hmm. It seems like to me anyway, they get uh, mixed up in some ways, Yes. right? I mean, they yes. play into one another probably in ways that are hard for us to decipher. Yeah. And I think avoiding liabilities. So these are some liabilities that can result of depression being unaddressed. Patterns can take root. Mm-hmm. Self-pity can happen. A downward spiral, alcohol, drugs, overeating, undereating, abortion that can ravage the soul. The sadness can become impossible to live without. Mm. So becoming well-versed of both the physical and spiritual symptoms help us become more aware of ourselves and then what God is doing in them. The waves are His, verse 7, and God is at work in real-life troubles. I guess the thing that I'm thinking about is just how we are created to be needful creatures that in the garden from the beginning, like God was providing for us and he was filling our love buckets. Like he was giving us food. He was giving us meaningful work. He was giving us relationships and he was pouring out his love and care on us. And in the fall, we see that relationship broken and we said, We don't want to be under your care. We actually are going to buy the lie like you were talking about with how Satan tempts us away of that we're going to take the lie instead of we want to be God. We want to be like God. Like we think we're in charge and we can pull this off on our own and we can fill our own love bucket. We we need that hope that the psalmist is crying out for. I think that's what you see so readily in that scripture is that we need that hope. We need the Lord's love. And sometimes there is a, a weight there and we are crying out for that. I think that is beautiful the way the Psalms is so uh, 
readily show that is that we need the Lord's love and care and he will provide it. But sometimes there is that space where we aren't attuned to it as, as much as we would hope. And I just was going to say, as you're saying that, Julie, that idea of patterns are established. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you really can't almost live without that sense of sadness or that sense of depression is what's sort of normal to you that you're comfortable with. And we wouldn't think that we would want to get stuck in something like that. But sometimes we do. And it just was another reminder to me of why it's so important not to ignore it or to deny it or to call it something else or to think it will just sort of go away on its own but it continues to take a deeper and deeper root in us um, when we don't see it or acknowledge it. I mean, I love that here, the psalmist, the speaker in the psalm, and again, it was created for corporate use. So it's to give words that maybe sometimes we wouldn't give words to ourselves that, you know, when we go to church and we do the corporate confession of sin, or even when we do prayer and praise or the um, confession of faith, we're given words Uh, that we need to utilize in order to both express ourselves and understand the Lord. And that's what's going on here in this psalm. And he's not afraid to use very vivid language to describe how it is that he's feeling. And it's a very weak and needy place. And he definitely does that. And then he moves. What I love about this psalm is it has a progression in that first chunk before the first refrain. It's pretty much just him talking to himself and his own soul. And why are you so downcast? And why am I cast off? It's a lot of self-talk and it's just an honest admittance of where he's at. And then you move into at past the first refrain and you get into the second body. And it's the first time he can say that in the midst of those breakers and waves, all God's waves and breakers, which have washed over me, it feels like I'm drowning. And right after that, he says the steadfast love of the Lord. He commands his steadfast love and his prayers with me at night. And he has this glimmer of hope in that second body. And then the next refrain comes and third one comes. And now he starts talking to the Lord. It's so wonderful to hear you describe it that way. David Pallison talks about the minor key and the major key throughout the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful because we need both. We, we need both the minor keys and the major keys to experience life. So if, if, you are, if your season is situational, um, our encouragement from these two psalms can be life-changing. Look at where God directs us in our suffering in verse 2. He is the living God. He takes our darkness and shines His light there, Isaiah 58.10 proclaims. He's fully present and helps our countenance. In verse 5, this too will pass. Our hope is in an unchanging, personal God that can be known and praised. Verses 5, 11, and then verse 5 of 43. Not a mere idea of change, but a reality in active exercise. He pleads my cause. He delivers. He is the God of my strength. Verse 2 of 43. Yet I must go to him. Verse 4. For my hope and help, I pour out my soul and I remember you. He commands his loving kindness in the daytime and at night, his song is with me. That is up close and personal. He is the God of my life, verse 8. How do we turn to him? We place our hope in what he says, completely other than our circumstances. 
Let these words seep into the cracks of your sadness. Listen to his voice of loving kindness in the daytime and prayer and song at night. When I cannot feel the faith of assurance, I live by the fact of God's faithfulness, Matthew Henry reminds us. I remember who he is. So I'd like to just pause for just a moment and let you know that there are some obstacles that might be present that I'd like for you to just do some self-examination in right now. Do you know this God of hope? Do you know him personally through the work of his son on the cross for you? Do you care to know him more? Do you desire to know his great love for you? John 14, 8 and 9. Growth in our faith happens when we shift from a natural human perspective to a biblical view of him. He is for you, not against you. Let him summon you to his love. He is the lifter of your head. I could sit here for a lot longer and listen to you speak those types of truths. I know, keep going. Me. So soothing. Yes. I speak them to myself. You know, I, cold chills, just yeah. thinking mm-hmm. about him summoning us to his love. He does it every day in a myriad of ways. Mm. He summons us to believe his love, that he is for us. I love how you're talking about, too, how if we don't know God's love, then we're going to rely on our circumstances to inform our status with the world, with God, with the, the people around us, that that's the only fallback plan is to look and see, like, how are things going around me? Like, what do my circumstances inform me of? But when we have that assurance of God's love, it trumps the circumstance. Like, even if our lives do have those waves crashing around us, like, we can be safe in His in His love. Yes. And that's bigger than our circumstance. And it's an unbelievable gift. Thanks for those reminders. Well, and it silences those false voices that, well, the false voice and the very petrifying voice that says you are alone, right? Because at the core of what this the psalmist is saying is, mm-hmm. where are you? Mm-hmm. Why am I cast off? Mm-hmm. My enemies say to me all the day, where is your God? In other words, you are by yourself. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, yeah, that steadfast love is right in the center of that psalm, that belief that the Lord commands it to me. And that's what you're saying. He calls me to it. That command has power and authority. And I think that beginning place is the, the place where you can start to believe that maybe there can be healing. Well, in the quote that you read, was it Matthew Henry? Mm-hmm. Is that right? I feel like one of the core lies that I believe is that no one will help me, that it's I have to fix this on my own, that I have to come to my own aid. And I guess that's what you're talking about is that the Lord is our helper. And so sometimes when I'm in the mess and I just can't uh, see clearly, then it is like you just have to tell yourself like the truth. Like yes. it, the, the fact is that I've seen the Lord deliver me before. He has been my helper in the past. And even though the circumstances around me inform me that I'm on my own, that's not true. And I think that's just such a good thing to remember that you do have to just sometimes have those truths on quick recall. So when we're looking at these 16 verses in Psalms 42 and 43, we see him quickly move through. He's crying out to God. His soul is downcast. And then there's that quick transition where he's got hope in God. And what would you say to those of us who are asking the question, how do I move forward in practical ways when dealing with depression? 
Those are some great questions. Just to understand, first of all, that our great God knows our longing, our heartbreak. He knows excitement, frustration. He knows the full range of our emotions and our humanness. He lived in a body, too. So just understanding that He knows us um, inside and out. If you're struggling or have wrestled in the past with depression, or perhaps you know of someone or have come alongside a fellow traveler struggling with a sense of sadness, these seven points may be helpful for you to maybe jot down or remember for later. If you want to hit the pause button and grab a pen and paper, I'm going to give you several helpful tips if you have personally struggled are struggling, or if you are with someone who is struggling at this time. The first one is Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Know yourself well and your God well. Be alert. Look for warning signs. Be sensitive to them. Understand prevention. Get out in front, if at all possible. Care for the temple, eat a healthy diet, sleep in a rhythm, develop wise routines, go to bed at a certain time and get up at a certain time. Get outside and enjoy the beauty of God's creation. Find ways to see Him, exercise, glorify God with your body. Number two, have a daily time in the Word, but let the Word get into you. Preach to yourself. Just like the psalmist, speak into your despair. Tim Keller calls this self-communion. Place your trust in God. Declare your faith, not your feelings. Pray. Ask the Lord for help. I have one thought on that, just about how things get from our heart or from our head to our heart. So much of that is just worked out in these type conversations where we're talking with the body of Christ and we see the spirit working in each other and we are not just preaching the truth to ourselves, but we're hearing other friends and they are participating in the work of the Lord, like lifting our heads. Yeah, I'm going to get to relationships. Yeah. But this is, these are two practical things that we can do for ourselves. Try to get out in front of it, which mm-hmm. was number one, and then develop some disciplines, some daily disciplines. Okay, so those are two things that we can uh, apply for, for ourselves. The third tip would be the beginning of seeking out. Seek out help from a pastor, a close, trusted friend, someone who loves you, knows the Bible. Seek out the body of Christ. Know your safe people. And this verse from 2 Corinthians 7, 6, but God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So Titus was key in the ability for them to overcome this depression. Relationship is part of the created order. You are not designed to suffer alone. So I'm thinking of my friend who invited me to come and talk with you, just some things that I couldn't help uh, or I couldn't work out on my own. And you gave me the space to just truly believe that the body of Christ is trustworthy is part of God's plan for us that we're not supposed to white knuckle it to glory because that was my plan I think was just like I just gotta read my Bible harder and just exist until I make it to heaven or something I don't know like I obviously didn't have a really fleshed out plan so I feel like you just gave me the freedom to enjoy 
being on earth, enjoy God and his creation. And part of that beautiful creation was his body. And you invited me into trust his body and that they could uh, come alongside me and minister to me. They could be light and water to help me grow. Because in so many ways, I think when we are hurting or grieving, uh, we tend to isolate and we alienate ourselves from the body. We alienate ourselves from God. We begin to not even understand ourselves. I think that's what you were talking about when we just buy into the narrative of this is my lot in life. I'm just going to be sad and sit in my sadness. I'm melancholy or whatever. Just We just get into that zone. So I think that you've been such a gift to me because you've allowed me the space to trust the body of Christ and grow and thrive and experience God's presence at work with my sisters and brothers. Mm-hmm. So thank you. You know, I tell people who come to see me sometimes that it is, it is God's timing that they come. Mm. And um, I had one lady recently, and she said, if I had only known you 20 years ago, right? I only sought out counseling 20 years ago. But she was in a different space mm. 20 years ago. Yeah. And um, so God has his perfect timing providentially for our healing, too. So you can trust that. And it is such a journey, you know. Mm-hmm. I think even when that in this situation 10 years ago or whatever, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'll fix. I'm good now. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, not actually. Is that depressing? Is that depressing no. audience? That is Are that you depressed that? yet? Well, we're always on a journey, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that is part of the beauty that the Lord redeems us degree by degree. Yes. He's mm-hmm. patient with us. He's yes. tender with us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and all, the, all along the way, when that's the case, it requ- it um, asks for a certain amount of vulnerability. You know, and Aaron, that's something I appreciate about you is the willingness to say, I need help mm-hmm. or I don't have it all together. And we do live in a little bit of a culture that we're not comfortable with that. Or if we are comfortable with that, there's only certain things that we're comfortable mm-hmm. admitting that um, about. Mm-hmm. And we maybe know or recognize or have an inkling of the fact that there might be some broken places in us that when we get to, we're not even going to be comfortable with how we express them. We're not going to be comfortable with other people seeing them. When we do express them, we wish we hadn't. You know, just to affirm to y'all, if you're listening, for safe people who you can trust, who know the word and who care about you, even if that expression feels really vulnerable and you feel really embarrassed afterwards. I've been in that place uh, a couple of times and I've always seen the Lord honor that and use that. And it's it's been a gift. And, you know, we talk about talking within the body and how important that is. But I just want to say, too, it's important sometimes to go see a counselor. Mm-hmm. I've been going to see Julie recently and it has a unique type of help for me. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people in the body that I, I do trust and I enjoy talking with. But to sit down with her and have her help me weed through some thoughts in a a very practiced and biblical way has been helpful to me. I remember sitting down with you, Julie, and you saying, all right, this is where you talk, and I want to hear everything you have to say. And you said, there's probably not a lot of spaces in your life where that happens. I have three boys, and I have a husband who loves me very much, but doesn't want to sit down and hear my (laughs) endless narrative. So just to be able to go to somebody who really does want to hear all of your thoughts and has the knowledge and understanding to help you work through those, that's valuable. Yeah, I believe, I've appreciated it. Well, and I guess I don't remember which one of you were just saying, but I feel like the Laodiceans, we see them and they're rich and powerful. 
self-righteous, arrogant, and in need of nothing. And Jesus says with arms open wide, actually, you're needy. and You're in need of a savior and you're poor and come to me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the good news. Who wants to be the white knuckling Laodiceans that say, oh, we got this. Yeah. We'll save ourselves. Right. There's no hope in that. No. You want to be that until you recognize that that's not going to work. Right. From, well. a, from a former white knuckler, there's, there's no hope there. That's a great word about counseling. I have taken time off from counseling to receive counseling myself. So it's been very beneficial in my life. And I've also crashed and burned a few times. So you can ask my husband about that. But <laughs> anyway, so yes, there are seasons in our life when the timing is right for us to just deal with some things mm-hmm. um, that could be obstacles to our growth mm-hmm. and our faith. So number four, seek a wise doctor who knows you well, ask questions, get a blood panel, and medications, if necessary, will help your symptoms. Number five, deal with any known sin. David is a master at helping us to confess in Psalm 51. Rest in Christ's forgiveness, Psalm 32, 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You can rest in Christ's forgiveness. I love that. Number six, practice biblical thinking. Second Corinthians 1, Christ has a purpose in our despair. Our hope is not in our circumstances, but in our great and living God who is for us. And then finally, Number seven, which is really important, practice kindness to someone else. Mm. Serving others helps us. So look for someone to bake cookies for or take their kids to the park, invite over for coffee or leave a flower on their porch. Any way you could encourage someone else brings life to the soul. Mm. So in closing, those seven tips, the scriptures do not hide weaknesses. Every one of us, regardless of status, position, gifts, strengths, appearance, or performance, is highly vulnerable. We're dependent upon the Lord and others. We are human and frail, subject to hard, sad seasons and struggles. But He is for us. Not only cheering us onward, He is with us as an advocate and companion in battle. Psalm 16:8. He directs our path. He will not hide his face from us when trouble is near. Mm. I love that, Julie. And it reminds me how in our psalm for today, the psalmist says to the Lord, uh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling, that place where I'm with you. It makes me think of the time that the Lord led his people out of slavery in Egypt and through the wilderness and into the promised land. His presence was with them visibly in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He was leading them into a land in which they were to dwell with him. And in our study, Kathleen pointed out to us in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4, where Paul speaks of Jesus as being the spiritual rock for the people of Israel as they left, the one that quenched their thirst in the wilderness, that led them on the way, that followed them as their rear guard. That's what you're talking about, that he is your defender, your advocate. He walks with us. And the people of Israel, they saw that provision and protection of God through the signs and wonders in creation. And we now have the privilege of seeing that and experiencing that same wonder that you're talking about, Julie, of provision and protection, the fact that Jesus is 
with us himself. He provides the salvation we long for, the worship that we crave. He commands his steadfast love, and he does it by sprinkling us with his blood, that he bore all of our sin and iniquity in order to bring us to himself. And so we don't ever have to say, where is our God? Or mourn because we're far away from him and we can't make our way back because he has connected himself to us. Julie, thank you for talking with Amber and me today. Listeners, if you want to see Julie's pretty face, check out our Women's Bible Study Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA or find us on Instagram at First Press Augusta Women. We'd love for you to join us again next week. Listen in as you drive to pick up a fall mum or when you take a sunset walk. We will be sitting down next week to talk with Pat Sims and Laura Breeze about our need for King Jesus. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while she sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in His wings. When comforts are declining, He grants the soul again a season of clear shining. To cheer it after the rain